In this episode of the Makers and Nerds podcast, you learn how Neil Johnson is making money with his passion and hobby, handmade wood artwork. So let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Makers and Nerds podcast, where I chat with makers and nerds all about their hobbies and passions and how they are making money with it. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a maker, but mostly a nerd. If you want to get a hold of me right there, you can get a hold of me right there at Marcelo at makersandnerds.com. In today's episode, you'll learn how Neil Johnson is making money with his handmade wood artwork hobby. But before I get him on, I want to remind you to visit makersandnerds.com to listen or watch more podcast episodes just like this one. All right, let's get him on. Neil Johnson, welcome to the Makers and Nerds podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Marcelo. It's great to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, We know each other, obviously. Well, not obviously, because people don't know that we know each other, but we know each other from uh, working together, right? That's that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've known you for, for probably about five years now. Is it five years? Wow, time flies, man. That's just crazy. Um, anyway, uh, we both worked in uh, e-learning, and you know, there's a whole past here, but it doesn't matter because here we're talking about our passions, our hobbies, right? And I know. Well, I'm going to ask you what I ask everybody: Are you a nerd, a maker, or both? It's a great question. I'm there's say- no right or wrong. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say both. So I, uh, I I really I think was probably more more a part of nerd culture than 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 maker culture. I would say for a long time I grew up you know uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons and video games, playing you know uh, Warhammer like tabletop games, things like that. So uh, definitely definitely uh, more on on the nerd side there, and uh, and probably probably more a maker later on. Uh, in, in, in my travels. So, uh, yeah, definitely a nerd. I, I concur with that. I think I'm mostly a nerd. I'm just starting to get into being a maker. I wouldn't call myself a maker like you are, but I'll get there one day. Um, so what do you nerd out on right now? So right now, well, actually, as a matter of fact, I would say, um, you know, I one of my friends, uh, he's he's kind of been getting back into uh, Warhammer 40k, which is a tabletop you know war game, uh, and so I'm actually starting to get back into that a little bit. So uh, you know, building the minis, painting them, and and all that sort of thing, uh, as well. I would say that's probably like the 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 next thing I'm kind of getting back into a little bit. So I think you'll be interested. I think it's going to be episode four because I've got a guy coming in where where he do, he builds those and sells those minis. Oh, no um, kidding. With a bunch of tabletop war games and stuff. Yeah, totally. So I think you can appreciate that. And um, so very cool. Now, you're a maker, obviously. Um, you're in your workshop right there. We see it. Very cool workshop. I love it. <laughs> so what do you make? What's, what materials? Uh, what are you into? What's your passion? Yeah, so I I right now am working uh, with wood and with leather, uh, so you know mainly small uh, smaller wood projects, uh, you know cutting boards. Um, I carve out signs uh, that I hand paint, and I do that uh, with like a CNC machine. Uh, and then I'm also getting into leather working. That's a little bit new for me. Uh, really, kind of within the past year, I've been 
kind of kind of experimenting and learning along the way. So uh, with that, again, a lot of, you know, smaller projects just to kind of get my feet wet and, uh, you know, make things that are a little bit easier to batch out uh, for sales. So do you mix the materials up? Do you do wood and uh, leather or are they two separate kind of things? Yeah, right now they're they're separate things that I'm doing. So uh, generally, it's exclusively a wood project or exclusively a leather project. Uh, but I'm looking for ways to incorporate them. So I've I've seen some people do that with you know small accents here and there. Right. Uh, you know, so I'm I'm looking for ways to maybe incorporate those. Uh, hopefully, hopefully within the next couple of months, I'll, I'll have something that I can be proud of. That's that's kind of combining both skills into one set. So how did you, I mean, this started as a hobby for you, right? Woodworking or, yeah. So yeah. what interested you in woodworking uh, particularly and then leather as you you added that now? Um, yeah, what got you into that? Why, why that? Yeah, so I, I got into woodworking, I would say really this was, this was probably 10, 15 years ago, probably at this point, uh, I actually started with building sets for a, uh, a local high school for their theater department, actually. So mm. they did their spring musical every year. And uh, my my sister and brother-in-law were both involved with uh, with sort of that that production and I got roped into it being, you know, the younger, the younger brother. Uh, but I actually really found it to be really rewarding and it was a lot of fun. So it was very, you know, scrappy DIY, like building and painting flats and, um, you know, some furniture as part of that, um, really with an emphasis on making sure, for example, we built a, like a bar, like what you would find, you know, in, in a bar, I guess. Uh, but, you know, building it strong enough to where it could be danced on that sort of thing. Um, and so that's really kind of where I got my start with woodworking, um, you know, but really, I would say probably maybe five, six years ago is really when I, I decided to kind of get back into it a little bit and maybe try and expand sort of my skill set beyond just the rough and tumble kind of set building world and get a little bit more into I don't know that I would call it fine woodworking, but certainly somewhere in between sort of DIY and fine woodworking is, is where I'm I'm finding my happy spot right now. Um, leather, and you're doing I, this, oh, sorry, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, uh, so, so leather working, I would say is probably within the past year. Uh, that was a little bit more of uh, a reason to uh, try and try and create something, try and do making, uh, but maybe not use power tools late at night. So, you know, my, uh, mm. my neighbors would, would be happy with me still. And I found it actually has been really rewarding for me, uh, to, to have something that's a little bit more quieter, maybe a little bit slower paced, you know, less, less pressure in some ways, since you don't have, you know, spinning tools around you. Uh, so, so that's kind of how I got into, into that probably a year ago. So, uh, speaking of tools, um, to me, all that is very intimidating. I want to, I would love to work with wood, but it's very intimidating. How, I mean, what, what's your recommendation for somebody that wants to jump into woodworking? I mean, what tools do they need? What are the basic tools they're going to need? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a great question. So basic tools, I think it really depends on what, what you're trying to make. So, so a lot of people, I think when they start out, they really emphasize more on the tools that they need. And, and mm -hmm. obviously it's very exciting when you're, you know, you're looking at all these fun things that, that people have, but I think really it depends on the project of what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. That should actually dictate more, more mm -hmm. so what it is that you should be getting. So for example, 
you know, if you find that you really want to whittle something, let's just say, right, you don't need a table saw for that. You need some whittling knives for that. So don't go buy the table saw first. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of how I would approach it. Um, me personally, because I had some of that experience and I knew first and, and foremost that I wanted to be able to make larger pieces of furniture. Uh, for example, I did the all the furniture that I have in my living room I made. And so in that instance, I knew I would need a table saw for that. And so I pursued that. Um, but to that same token, I, I didn't go looking for the most expensive hand plane I could ever find. You know, I, I knew that I wanted to really focus on just what my project was at hand and then right. continue to develop my skills with it. Right. So what I'm hearing here is don't don't do this for the tools. Just go buy the tools that you need for the projects you're trying to build here. So take it easy, slow down. You know, we all love tools, right? I mean, and you, they're toys, basically, right, that you want to get. But really, don't jump into that until you have a real, you have the need for that in a project. I would agree with that completely. Uh, I, I don't think that I would recommend someone just go out and, you know, spend every dollar they have on, on every fun-looking tool because half of the time you may not even end up using it. So, yeah. you know, make, make, uh, make the right choice for your tools, get the thing that helps you get through your project, learn the skill that you're learning. And then, you know, that helps to inspire you into maybe the next project. And maybe that's right. the opportunity for the next tool. Plus then you can, and now we're going to jump and start talking about more of the business side of things and how you make that jump. Right. But, uh, then sure. you can start justifying purchasing these things because you have a project that hopefully will pay for that. Right. Completely. So when did you decide that you wanted to take it to the next level? No more hobby. Well, I mean, still hobby, right? Obviously, because you're working full time, correct? Correct. Yep. I work right. full time. So this is so all this is more of a side. still of a hobby, but but that you're making side money with. Correct. Yes. Which is great. So when did you decide, hey, why not make money with something I love to do? And what yeah. made you decide that? So I, I think I kind of kind of fell into that as an idea, actually. Um, originally, I started California Builds really with an emphasis on uh, creating content, actually creating uh, videos to place on YouTube uh, to help illustrate sort of the DIY type builds that I was uh, doing at the time. Um, so for example, some music gear, um, I, I, I ride motorcycles. And so there was a need I, I felt for making some things to like uh, hold my helmet, for example. Uh, and I, I sort of started that direction and quickly realized that I think my passion is more for the making and less for the content about making, right? Uh, and in that instance, I also realized too that the way that I can help to sustain sort of that practice was to potentially, uh, you know, develop my skills while also making something that I could sell. So really probably two or three years ago is when I sort of changed kind of the direction that I wanted to head. Uh, it also allowed me to then start making things of a smaller scale that I could, you know, practice my skills with while also batching products together. Um, and, and really, I think that the other thing I enjoy about that, too, is I can make something and it doesn't have to stay in my house. Uh, so mm. it allows me to kind of keep things coming in and going out as well. So that part makes it really easy for me and uh, makes the house less cluttered as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's that's a great reason. Now, so you went ahead and, and made the jump and created, did you incorporate, did you just do uh, a single ownership? How did you, you created California Builds, right? That's the company yes. name. 
how did you come up with the name and then did you like incorporate it how did you what was that process like yeah so so the name the name i think there wasn't a ton of thought that i that i put into it if i'm being completely it's a cool honest. name to be honest uh, with you i love it and, and i appreciate that i mean i'm i'm a person who's in southern california and i build stuff so California builds. There you go. Um, and I'm surprised that was available that domain. Yeah, right. Because it sounds well, that, like a, the domain that everybody would want. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. Like that was actually the first thing that I did after thinking about the name was like, okay, is is the Instagram handle taken? Is there a domain available for that? Great Those tip. kinds of things. So yeah, before so. did you so that you pick the name and then went to search, meaning that you buy the domain first and then went to search, or you did all your searches first before you invested in in that name. Yeah, I did all kind of my research first in that. Great instance. tip. So, yeah, and there there were a couple of other things that I, I can't think about the name now off the top of my head, but you know there were a couple of other ideas that I had that I did some searches with and did discover that there were names already taken for some of those things. So right. um, that really helped me to understand like, okay, I don't need to go that direction. Let's let's take the next thing on the list. So that's how I really approached it. Um, and, you know, thinking about it as a business, uh, I also looked up on the uh, business registry, in, in my case, for the state of California, to understand if there was also a, a company that existed with that name. Mm. Um, I, I, after going through that process, then I, you know, purchased a domain, got my Instagram, like all of those kinds of things, at least taken first, because I could have those regardless of whether I had it established as an official business. That's something that I still wanted the name for. And that helped me again, because I was starting more with content. It wasn't really about the business at that particular point. That's kind of why I started that way. Um, and then once I understood, you know, more about the business side of what I wanted to do with that, um, I actually created uh, an LLC for this. So okay. that's that's the direction that I chose to go with the there's, you know, I don't think I'm here to like tell you that you should go one way or another in terms of how you form your business. Uh, I know that there's really yeah. We're not giving a lot that. legal advice here. Disclaimer: right. We're not. We're just talking. <laughs> but uh, that that being said, though, you know, the decision I I kind of made was with with a couple of of longer term goals in mind that eventually I would I would want to have that LLC. So I thought, you know, I might as well just go for it now and. Um, that's that's how I ended up where I'm at. And and what's the reason? Uh, we're not telling people to do that, but what's the reason you did that? You went with yeah. an LLC versus a sole proprietorship, or? Yeah, I, I think really the the big reason there was about personal liability. And mm, so, right. for example, knowing that I'm a person who is making something that is potentially going into someone's home. Uh, even if something is misused, let's say that I built someone a table and then they stood on that table and fell and right. broke their arm. Uh, I don't want to have my personal liability attached to that. I would, I would much prefer that protection from an LLC in the event that something were to happen in that instance. Um, you know, you never know what, what kind of protection you may need. So I yeah. thought that it, it may be a smarter move for me to invest in that up front rather than to try and learn a hard lesson down the line. I'd rather pay a little bit more for sort of California's LLC fees every year than to have to worry about something like that coming at my personal assets. Yeah, totally. No, that makes sense. And that's really, really good reason why you did it. We're not telling people to do it. They can do what they want to do. We're not giving advice. Just, okay, we got the, all that disclosure out of the way, just to make sure. Uh, but no, I I agree with you. I think it's it's great. I did it the same thing with, with my business, right? It's an LLC as well. So um, 
when you decided to do it and became a business, obviously you or did the LLC and, and checked. I love the tip of checking everything, not only checking that all the social media channels and the website domain is available, number one, but you also then went to make sure nobody was using that as a company name. That's really important as well. Then you went and got it. Then you got your LLC. So uh, the, the question I was going to ask, and maybe that the answer is one of those, but what is when, when somebody goes from their passion and hobby and go like, okay, I need, I want to make some money with this, whatever the reason may be, whether I want this my full-time job or I just want to pay for my hobby, basically. What is that one thing they should do to when they make that switch? Yeah. Or, or the I, most important thing you feel they should do? That's, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think that what helped me to make that decision of kind of transitioning from just making to incorporating as a business was the understanding that I'm trying to scale what I'm doing to a level that will allow me to make money and properly account for uh, those materials, you know, uh, to be able to justify being able to accept, you know, a card payment and then be able to show that on record, pay the taxes that are appropriate for that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I think when we're working sometimes, you know, from from our table, regardless of what we're making, you know, uh, you get to a point, I think, in scale where it goes from just uh, an occasional project that you may make for your neighbor or your friend or your family right. member to where you're trying to reach an audience that is greater than your your small sphere. And you start having to deal with things like, how do I accept a credit card payment? And how do I ensure that, uh, you know, my appropriate taxing agency is going to get their cut? Because, of course, everyone right. does. Yeah. And you know, that was really, I think the determining factor for me was I was, I felt like I was at a scale that I wanted that to happen. Um, you know, so I, I think my encouragement would be that if someone were, were on the fence about, you know, should I, should I not, I would definitely do research into seeing, you know, what avenues there are, because maybe something, for example, like a, uh, a sole proprietorship, which doesn't require the same level of, you know, sort of financial liability, something like that may be appropriate, because then you could get, you know, your, your DBAs, you can uh, start collecting payments, you can then do things like sign up for vendor fairs, which in certain instances require sellers permits, right. um, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it helps you to better account for those expenses that ultimately when it comes time for tax time, that's really the, the reason why I'm going through all this is to make sure all of that's properly accounted for and, and the right checks and balances are in place. So it sounds, if I can summarize it, it's not really one thing, but that one thing is become legal, right? As a business entity, become legal, you know, uh, dot your I's, cross your T's to make sure that everything legal wise, you're good to go. So that way you're not going to run into trouble in the future. Correct. Because right now you're small, but you don't know what could happen, right? How big it could get. Yep, exactly. So I, I want to have that readiness. Uh, you know, my decision was, am I am I willing to scale this? And do I want to pursue that as more than a hobby? And at that point, the decision was, okay, I'm not just doing this as a hobby anymore. Yeah. I am now doing this as a business and I need to treat it a little bit differently in my approach. Yeah, very cool. So what's the thing they should not do when they're ready to go and become a business? What should you not do? Yeah. You know, I, I think I'll use myself as the example. I should have done a little bit more research probably as I was doing all of my filing, um, you know, to actually get the business created. Um, I would advise, you know, there's a lot of like really good resources out there. Um, 
even LegalZoom, for example, where you can kind of you know start your LLC with them. I I realize in hindsight, I kind of went through a circuitous way, not really realizing what types of tools there were like that available that helped me to get started in a way that I could really understand what liabilities I was getting myself into. So I would say don't just immediately jump into starting uh, a business if you feel like maybe it's not the right thing for you at that moment. Uh, my own personal example, I probably could have waited maybe another year or two before I actually did my filing, uh, which would have saved me a little bit of money, a little bit of headache. And I think I would have been probably a little bit more ready for that jump if I had waited in my own personal experience. So I, I would say don't rush. Like if you feel like you're at a place where you're comfortable doing what you're doing, you're still treating as a hobby and you're just learning your skills, you're there to have fun don't create the business. Uh, I, I would say that that's probably the thing that really once you once you see the opportunity and you decide you want to pursue it, that's when you should really, really jump in at that point. Yeah, that makes sense. So we're, we've set up the entity, we're illegal, we're all good to go, you got products. How does the world know about this? Like, tell us a little bit about what what's your marketing? What do you go to conferences? What do you do for marketing purposes? Yeah, so marketing is a challenge, I would say, for me that I'm still learning. Um, I have an Etsy store where I sell uh, my products online. Um, currently, I have a website um, that points you to my Etsy store. So that's kind of the goal for now. And then um, the marketing that comes with that, you know, people have opinions, good or bad. But, um, you know, this is an ecosystem that allows you to sort of get in front of an audience uh, who is looking for handmade items, which is what I do. So uh, in that particular instance, my goal is to stay on Etsy until I have enough of a following to where I feel like I can justify pulling uh, into my own uh, web store using the same URL and everything. Uh, so that way, regardless of where I point someone, you know, from my business card, let's say, um, you're always going to CaliforniaBuilds.com, and that'll either take you to my Etsy store now or in the future to my own site where uh, you'll have either marketing materials available, you've got Google leads generating back to that, and, uh, you know, I've got a shopping cart set up that would allow someone to purchase items. This, well. I, I want to emphasize this part because this is a very important tip that you're providing because I've seen at cons many places where they're giving you the Etsy URL. And like you said, um, I love what you do. If you go to California Builds, right now it's taking you to the Etsy store. But when you're ready and you have your, your, your own store, nothing will change in any of your marketing materials. People will always go to California Builds and they'll get to wherever you want them to get to, right? So I think that's a really, really important thing um, that people should do is come up with that domain and then send everybody to that domain and you figure out, okay, where is where are where is my entity now? Is it Etsy or whatever other store or is it my own? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And that that gives you some really good freedom in the future too, that you know, you don't have to feel like you're locked in, right? Uh so if, if for some reason in the future, even if I had my own store, let's say I was using Shopify, for example, to power my shopping cart, and I was maybe directing someone instead of to my own independent website, I was directing someone to my Shopify store, I changed nothing. And as far as my customer base is concerned, you're still getting the same products, you just put in your payment information into a different platform. That's really right. Place. Right. So with with Etsy, uh, we'll just talk a, a touch a, a little bit upon that because many people do that. But there's uh, charges, right? They take out out of here. Yep. So you got to take that in consideration. And 
so I want you to address that a little bit. And then part two is it does open up a large audience, but it also with that comes a lot of questions, right? Um, that, that come and you have to manage those questions through the Etsy chat, I would imagine. Um, so part one is uh, what are those, well, you don't have to give specific charges, but is it a sizable amount? And number two, how much, how time consuming is managing the customer service portion of the Etsy store? Yeah, great, great question. So uh, Etsy, their fees, I know that they've just recently increased. I believe last I heard it was uh, six and a half percent that they're going to be charging for each transaction performed. Um, you know, that's sizable, right? That's six and a half dollars out of every hundred. Uh, so, you know, how do you how do you manage that? Um, and honestly, that makes me then look at the pricing model that I'm using for what I'm making, right? So there, there are certain things that I would want to, you know, encourage those who are making to make sure that they're also taking into account. So, of course, we know that material cost is, is something that comes into mind. Um, but a lot of times people don't necessarily include things like what their own hourly labor is, right? To mm -hmm. ensure that you're actually paying exactly. yourself for the time. Uh, and again, this is kind of a separation between a business and a hobby. In a hobby, you don't pay for yourself for your time. In a business who is designed to make you money, you need to pay yourself, right? So include right. that within your pricing. Uh, and I also include uh, pricing in there for the percentages that Etsy would take as well. Um, so I make sure to, to compensate for, for that. Um, you know, that's that's kind of my advice around there. Um, there are other payment processors that you may use as well. So for example, uh, in like vendor fairs, things like that, I'm using Square right now as my uh, payment processor. And so there's a certain percentage that they charge for every credit card swipe that you, uh, that you take, right? Uh, so I make sure to also incorporate, if there's a percentage fee like that, that I incorporate that in my pricing as well. And, you know, you can also look at this maybe as an opportunity to create a, a little bit of a discount for your customer as well. So, for example, I don't need to charge my customer an Etsy fee. Uh, so actually, I can, you know, maybe discount my price a little bit in a vendor fair to say, you know, my pricing, when you're, when you're speaking with a customer, you mm -hmm. know, my pricing is cheaper here in person today. If you go on Etsy tomorrow, for all these items, they're going to be more, right. uh, you know, so it kind of gives an opportunity. It creates a little bit of an urgency or a reason why someone should actually purchase from you in that moment. Right. Right. Uh, so the, the other part to your question was a little bit about how, how communication goes with, uh, you know, customers on, on Etsy or, or really, you know, yeah. how do you handle those, those conversations as they're coming in, in mm -hmm. either location. Right. Um, you know, I think with Etsy, it has not been too time consuming for myself. Um, I find that I'm able to respond within, uh, you know, 12 to 24 hours of any question that comes in. And I can also, using the tools that Etsy has, I can also, you know, set expectations up front. If let's say I'm going out of town on vacation and I'm not going to be around to answer your question for a week, I can very easily put that wording into my Etsy store. Right. You can even so, set it on vacation mode, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that helps me to set the set the expectation with those that I'm working with. And, you know, if if a custom request comes in and, and we do need to have a little bit further conversation, I would rather spend more time in that conversation state 
than immediately going into collecting payments, sending you know uh, a, a product or or, or, or even purchasing uh, yeah. materials to to create some sort of one-off piece for them. I would rather take more time in that conversation stage to really understand and manage what those expectations are, discuss cost, pricing, that sort of thing, uh, before I ever even purchase material to ensure that you know both my client. Are, are happy with what they're about to get, they understand what they're getting into, and that I myself understand and I'm happy with the outcome as well, because ultimately, you know, I am a business, I do need to, to ensure that I'm covering the right costs and uh, including the right profit in my margins. Right, right. So what I'm hearing here is, which is really important, is communication. Communicate properly with your customer, whether you're communicating by literally answering them in a conference or through Etsy shops communication tools, or somehow in an email saying, hey, I'm going on vacation for the next three weeks, I won't be available so people know, right? But that's very important to communicate because now it's no longer a hobby, now it's a real business. And especially if you have paid customers, they're like, oh, Neil took my money and he disappeared, right? Well, you didn't, yep. you just went on vacation. Yep, exactly. So managing, I would really say that one of the big one of the big keys about this, when you do transition from you know a, a hobbyist into creating this as a business for yourself, is that you are really also setting expectations about yourself as a brand, right? And think about any company that you've ever interacted with. You want to make sure that you're treating people in similar ways, right? There are, um, you know, for good or ill, there there are really big companies that uh, their employees will treat you a very specific way. You have to think about some of those expectations that they're managing with you as they're explaining policy, for example. But also, right. even even how courteous are they? How do they treat you in an email? Do you feel like they're a partner to you? And if so, are you willing to do business with them, right? Uh, and and really, it's up to you to also kind of own a little bit of that stake as well if you expect yourself to to grow a customer base. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you said about uh, being kind and courteous with people, right? Because I've been to many cons where I've seen some incredibly creative people. They don't even do make eye contact with you when they're in their booth. And they're just, you know, face down doing whatever they're doing. Don't even make the effort to go, hey, how can I help you? How are you? None of that stuff. What's your recommendation to people like that? Boy, I would I mean, say- You've seen that, right? Or is it just- Yeah, oh, no, 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 I've, yeah. I've seen it. And and you see it in, in vendor fairs and, and you're right at cons, you'll see that a lot too. So here's here's the challenge, I think when we're when we're sort of in the nerd nerd space, right? right. Um, and, and of course I say that as an endearing term, right? Of course, I, I, I mean, I this whole, uh, look at well. the com my company name. I mean, it's all right. endearing, man. There, there you go. So, you know, I would say that in that space, it's really common for folks like us to feel uh, maybe nervous about interacting with folks in that capacity, right. right? Because you're so focused on your art or your craft that sometimes it may be hard to separate, you know, that side from maybe the business where you have to represent yourself maybe more professionally than you may have in your in your otherwise, uh, you know, job experience. Um, in that instance, of course, it's it's good to recognize what that behavior may look like and take active steps to try and change that within yourself. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'll be honest. Another another way to go is if you feel like that is something that is just so beyond your skill. 
I would really look at what other vendors are doing and you could see, you know, who's busy, how are they engaging with their customers and how can I do that? Yeah. You know, um, I, I would say that's a really good way to do it. And, you know, another suggestion, um, of course, this is your business and you have, you know, final say, but if you've got a friend that, you know, is really good with talking to people, I would really try and get them included in your booth as well. And or a spouse me. or a partner. I, I talked to somebody that oh, uh, yeah. they, I forgot what they were doing, but the, the clearly the creative person was in their own world, but the spouse was there selling it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I think that that's a good way to also ensure that, you know, you've got the right kind of voice who's advocating for you in that instance. Right. But it, it also opens up kind of an opportunity where let's say that you're purchasing something from someone who is running kind of that booth where maybe maybe they've got a friend or a spouse who's kind of you're interacting with more for the sales side. Maybe if you have a question about how the artwork was created, that's the perfect opportunity to really get uh, you as a creator involved in the conversation at that point, right? So, you know, you sort of separate kind of the sales and the business, you know, kind of aspect, the more customer service side from the more technical side that you're involved with. Um, and actually, I've, I've seen that instance play out for myself as well, where, uh, you know, my brother-in-law, he uh, he's also a maker and he does, uh, you know, he turns pens, he does, he does lathe work. And so in that instance, you know, I've seen where uh, my sister, his his wife has really handled more of like the how can I help you customer service side, uh, you know, maybe while he's busy kind of working through uh, some of the pieces that he's creating. And then when the question comes of like, what finish are you using? How are you applying this? Man, he's like instantly involved in the conversation. He's right there. And it creates this really cool rapport with with his clients. Um, you know, so I, I think that there's plenty of opportunity to either do both yourself uh, kind of, kind of improving on, um, you know, I'll use the word soft skills, right. But like our presentation skills, yeah, how we yeah. engage with our customers, there's opportunity to see what your peers are doing and improve, take those lessons and also incorporate others within your process as well. Right. So I'm hearing, understand your weaknesses and partner with people that have those strengths and, and then you make a perfect, uh, couple there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. For partnership. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the the partnership's the key there, you know. So as yeah. long as you as long as you've got someone willing to to be there and step up for you, then you know, of course, uh, you yeah, know, that that only helps both of you grow. Totally, Neil. I've got a whole bunch of more questions, but we're pretty much out of time. I'm going to end it with one last question, which is, what is the craziest slash create most creative marketing thing you've done? It doesn't have to be most. crazy. It could be creative, but crazy sells well, so make it crazy. Yeah, you know, I have to say I'm the most middle of the road guy that, that as far as it goes. So I know you, you are. <laughs> the, 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 the craziest thing for me, I think honestly, was really like putting myself in front of people and and putting on sort of sort of that persona that I'm here, I'm engaged with you, I'm ready to help you sell whatever you want, right? And and for me, that puts me so out of my comfort zone in some ways. I'm really the person that likes to be here in my garage doing just, you know, the yeah. heads down work. So for me, I think that's probably the craziest, just that that I have found where I've wanted to, to go, you know, but, um, you know, I'm sure that there's there's plenty of other examples out there of, you know, crazy marketing tactics that you can use. For me, it's really like, what are the things that work for others? I'm going to try and do that. And, you know, I might feel like I'm flying blind, uh, but sometimes I see success with it. So, you know, that's my encouragement is, 
even if it doesn't feel like a crazy thing in the market for you, maybe it's that crazy thing. And, right. and maybe that's, maybe that's all it takes for you to see success. Well, I mean, what you're saying really is step out of your comfort zone because that's Completely. when you push yourself to the next level. Yes, absolutely. And I think for me, vendor fairs have been a, a, the, the first way that I really found myself stepping out of my comfort zone. And boy, it felt really rewarding when I saw when you, you did know, it, right? those conversations lead to success and lead yeah. to a sale. You know. that, that encourages you uh, for more. Um, gosh, I, seriously, I wish we could speak for a couple more hours. So maybe we'll have you back. But anyway, if people want to get a hold of you, I'm showing your email there uh is that the best way to do it or is there another way that you like people to yeah you can reach uh, out to you yeah send me an email uh california builds at gmail.com is uh, is my email address you could find my etsy store at californiabuilds.com uh or wherever that store may, may, may be in the future um and you know i'm most active i would say social media on instagram at, at california builds uh so if you visit me there uh, feel free uh, uh send me a message and i'm more than happy to chat and you have some great photography there too. And by the way, most people don't know, but you're also a great photographer, but we'll wow. keep that for another time. You're too kind, Marcelo. Neil, awesome. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to chatting again. Definitely. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Makers and Nerds podcast. Remember to visit makersandnerds.com for more podcast episodes just like this one. And if you ever want to get a hold of me, don't worry about it. Just reach out here, Marcelo at makersandnerds.com. So until the next episode, see ya.